text for the sermon this morning is 1 Peter 3, the verses 15 to 16, 15 and 16. We'll begin reading at verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3. We begin reading at verse 8 of that chapter. And there we read God's word as follows. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And now follow the two verses of the text. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So far, the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Might there be anybody in the new Jerusalem after Judgment Day who comes up to you and says to you, I want to thank you from the heart because you cared enough about me to tell me the good news of Jesus Christ. Might there be someone who would welcome you into the eternal residence like that? Think about it, brothers and sisters, also boys and girls. The eternal well-being of one person is the most important thing you could be involved with in this life. You can build big business up, employing hundreds of people maybe. You can leave big legacies behind for others in this life. But to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit and then to share the gospel with somebody else so that they also come to embrace Jesus Christ, that would be an eternal legacy. Thank you, Lee. That's what our text this morning is about, congregation. God wants us to call others around us to Christ via you and me. The devil would love nothing more that we stay silent about the gospel and that the gospel doesn't show in our life, in the way we live. But God wants us to look at others around us the same way he does, namely, with, the, with a desire to save. Does that desire live in us? Not just for people in faraway countries, but here also around us here in our own area. There are all kinds of people around us who don't know God or don't know him rightly. 
when we have to do them with them, with those people, we shouldn't think, well, that's not our problem. Let someone else do that or let God do it directly somehow. No, we, we are called to have heart for those people. For without Christ, they're headed for a, a terrible future. Darkness, eternal darkness. And with that in mind, I preach to you the word of God in the text for this morning with this theme. Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. And we see two things in the text. How we can do that. And secondly, how we ought to do that. How we should do that. First of all, how we can give the reason for the hope we have. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, are we always that prepared to give others the reason for the hope that is in us in Jesus Christ? Are we always prepared for that, ready for that? Maybe you find it a joy to talk to your, about your Savior to, to others that you know, neighbors, co-workers, fellow students. It's, it's wonderful if that's the, the case. But maybe you're not very open about the hope that you have either. And then you know you should be more open about it, but somehow you don't dare. You're afraid you may not be able to answer adequately the questions they ask about the Bible and so, so on. You figure you're too old, or maybe you figure you're too young. Or maybe, maybe just downright afraid to let the coworker or fellow student at college know what you believe of because of what they might think of you. They might laugh at you and put you down. Hey, guys, you know what he believes? He figures the earth was created by God in six days. We're afraid of rejection. Congregation, it's good to be upfront and honest about that in your own heart, too. Be honest about it, not in order to look down on those who have a hard time with that, but to encourage each other to become what our text for this morning calls us to be, namely, always prepared to give the reason for the hope that is in us, the hope that we live out of. And we don't have to think we're the first people who have had a hard time with that. Because the people to whom the first letter of Peter was written didn't always find it easy to Uh, to give the reason for the hope that they had in Jesus Christ either. And we could even say they had more reason to than we do to stay silent and to blend in with those around them. They were maliciously talked about quite a bit. They were persecuted. These people were persecuted, oppressed. And that would have made it even harder to talk to others about your hope in Christ and, and his work of salvation. You might wonder why those believers weren't being treated so well, were being reviled and threatened. Well, don't forget that those people, those Christians in Asia Minor, had only recently become Christians. They had only recently left behind a pretty bad lifestyle. In chapter 4, verse 3, it says that in the past, he says, in the past, those Christians lived in, in drunkenness, in lewdness, lusts, and drunkenness. Revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Those kind of things they were involved in before. 
And the result was that the people that they had hung around with before, they thought it very strange that, they, that these people no longer took part in those drunken orgies and that loose lifestyle. And, and they couldn't stand that, and they heaped abuse on those new Christians for not going along with them in that lifestyle anymore. I think some of us who come to faith and to church later on in life may have encountered that too, that people you used to associate with before aren't happy with how you've changed. And, and they're not happy that you don't do what, what you used to do with them anymore. What advice does the Apostle Peter give those new Christians in Asia Minor who were suffering for what they believe now and for their life of faith? It's fine to be a believer, but if people speak bad about you and abuse you because of your faith, what are you supposed to think then? What, it, would you keep quiet? Blend in for a while? Just stay quiet until things settle down and people aren't that negative about the Christian faith anymore? The Apostle doesn't suggest that. He doesn't say either, just, he doesn't say either the opposite. Aggressively push your faith on others as hard as you can. No. He says something that would help those believers in Asia Minor and us in similar circumstances today. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. How can you overcome the fear of how people will react to your Christian life and words? How can you rise above that being afraid of what others will think or say about you? Well, sanctify or hallow or, or better yet, revere the Lord God in your heart. Let's pay attention to that advice some more, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. If you could read the original Greek, you'd see that actually that sanctifying God in your heart is a quote from Isaiah 8, verse 13. The Lord of hosts, him shall you hallow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. That's actually from that, that, that passage of Isaiah. And now you have to understand some of the context of that passage in Isaiah 2 to understand why the Spirit, through Peter, uses those words to encourage the Christians in Asia Minor. Ahaz, king of Judah at the time Isaiah spoke those words, was facing a big crisis. The great Assyrian army was marching up on Judah. The kings of Israel and Damascus wanted Ahaz to join them in an alliance against those Assyrians. But he refused. And so Israel and Damascus threatened to also invade Judah. And Ahaz then, in his fear and confusion, ran over to Assyria and made a treaty with them. And in the midst of all this jockeying for advantage and power and so on, the prophet Isaiah told Ahaz, stop wavering back and forth, just trust in the Lord. But then the people started to accuse Isaiah of conspiracy with Damascus and, and Israel. And then they threatened his life. But God said to Isaiah, 
don't be afraid of all the bad-mouthing and the threats against you, Isaiah. Don't be afraid of those people. No, instead, fear the Lord of hosts. Dread the Lord of hosts. Hallow, sanctify him in your heart. If you have people against you for speaking my word, that's one thing. But if you have the Lord of hosts against you, that is another thing. It's a lot more daunting. Because he's the one you really need to fear and dread, have respect for. And if he is with you, if you're doing or saying what he wants you to, then you don't have to be afraid of a soul in this world. Anybody else? If you have him on your side, you know him as your Lord, you sanctify him in your heart, You don't have to fear anyone or anything else, really. See why Peter quotes that passage from Isaiah in the text then? When he's talking to those Christians who were so fearful of of being persecuted and abused by their former friends when they were no longer took part in their lifestyle and in their way of life. If If you love God in Christ, you respect him in your heart, you don't have anything to be afraid of as far as people are concerned. Peter doesn't hound those Christians to do what they should. No. He encourages them. He says, so you're afraid of what those people will think and say, are you? You shake when you have to defend what you now believe and how you now act, do you? When you have to explain why you've changed. You're afraid of what they can do to you, are you? Well, think about this. Who is your God in Christ? Isn't he the holy and almighty Lord of hosts? So why worry about those unbelieving people and what they say? Who are they in comparison to the Lord God? If you reverence almighty God in your heart, don't be afraid of what those people who are abusing you are doing to you anymore. Don't be afraid of them. If the Lord God is your all and everything, then surely the threats of those people aren't going to make you afraid, will they? Oh, congregation, the Apostle Peter knew all about the fear of people, of what people might say or think if you believe in the Lord God and and if you embrace Christ. Because remember, Peter himself sat there warming his hands at the fire in the courtyard of the high priest on the night Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And three times somebody said to him, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And three times he was so afraid he denied it vehemently. Swore an oath. I don't know that man. And then the cock crowed and he ran out and wept bitterly. So Peter knew all about being afraid of people because of, because of the Lord. He knew. And in Galatians 2, you can read how the Apostle Paul had to admonish people, Peter for drawing back from the Gentiles again because he was afraid of what the circumcision party in the church was going to say. And again, Peter was afraid of what people would think and say about him. And Paul had to admonish him in front of everybody. See, Peter understood, and therefore he also knew the answer to it, 
to that fear. If you're afraid of people, you need to remember again who your God really is and what he has done for you in Christ and what he's capable of as the Lord of hosts. And fear him. Respect him. If you respect who he is in your heart, then you realize you don't have to be afraid of anybody here. They're just, these people are just people. Whereas God, the Lord of all, is Lord of all, and everybody is going to have to answer to him in the end. And if you think about that, you let that sink in into your heart, then you wonder how in the world you could be so worried about what others will think, say, or do when you show them in your life that you're a Christian, when you speak to them of your faith, when you have to answer for your faith. If Christ is really your Lord, why be afraid even if those people mistreat you? Because in time, they're also going to have to answer to the Almighty for what they do. And see, realizing that gives you the courage to always be prepared to give a defense to everyone, anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. That motivates you to live as you, as you do and to speak as you do. In fact, sanctifying the Lord God in your heart also means that your aim will be to have others acknowledge that they need Christ before the time comes when they have to appear before God. So we've seen how we, we can be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have. Now we come to the second point, how we, we, we should give the reason for the hope we have. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the Apostle Peter said if you, if you sincerely live in Christian hope to a greater or lesser extent, you're going to act and speak differently from others around you who don't have that same hope. That's a, that's a fact of life. The hope you have in Christ and his resurrection and his return to make everything new should distinguish you from those who don't look forward to that. You have a different, you work with a different worldview and a, and a different approach to your life. Your priorities in life are different. You make other things more important in life than what they make as the most important things in life. You make different choices in life. For instance, who you go out with and waiting until sexual relations, until after marriage. You don't need things like alcohol or drugs to make you feel good about your life. You talk differently. You don't use the, the language, the same language as others do. At work, coarse language, for instance. You're honest. You try to be honest with your money. And you manage it as a steward of the Lord's gifts rather than just squander it on your own pleasures. You spend Sundays differently than they do. If somebody asks at work on Monday morning, so what did you do yesterday? Well, you say, I went to church. I worship God. And you confess your wrongs when you wrong somebody. And they, you ask them to forgive you. That's your lifestyle. And you show in times of sorrow and pain that, that trust in God is what you rely on. You, you rely on Him. You trust that He is with you and He will work for your good in what you have to deal with. 
And you also have heart for those who, who are also in difficulty. You have heart for them. So genuine hope and trust in the Lord will show in so many ways in your life, in how you live and how you react to things that happen around you. And you don't have to be ashamed of that at all. When you live and speak that way, others will say, why do you do that? Or why, why do you say that? Or why don't you do what we do here? And then Peter says, just be ready to defend why you live the way you do and stand for what you stand for. Be ready to talk about what motivates you about the Lord of your life and about his salvation and about the future he has promised all who love him and that that's what, what is in your heart. That's what you live for. And don't do that arrogantly or condescendingly, Peter says, but with meekness and fear, he says. Meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. In other words, defend yourself with gentleness, with respect for the other person, and without losing your cool. Don't see your neighbor right away as, as, as an enemy, even if they act like one, and they don't accept what you say. I'm afraid that we use that excuse sometimes too. Don't, don't forget that your Lord can do a lot more than you think possible. He can melt the hardest hearts if he wishes to. He can harden the hearts, but he can also melt them if he wishes to. But he has people out there and he wants to reach them via you. And prayer helps to keep you humble and dependent on the Lord than to pray for humility and wisdom, meekness. Pray for your neighbor. It helps you to stay gentle and respectful towards your unbelieving neighbor. If you pray for him or her too, you know this person, you also pray for them. Prayer is the most important tool for mission in this world. The Apostle Paul, who knows so much and who knew so much, and he wasn't ashamed of the gospel at all. Paul wasn't. And he still asked the congregation at Colossae to pray for him and Timothy. He writes Colossians 4, verse 3, pray for us that God will open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains and to do that boldly. Somebody once wrote, People can refuse our love or reject our message, but they're helpless over against our prayers. So important then to pray also for those you might encounter that day who might not be so friendly to you because of your faith in this ever more de-Christianized society. People who might demand you to defend the hope you have. Why? Why are, are you, do you stand for what you stand? Why do you live that way? Be ready for that. Pray about it. Only God can change hearts by his spirit after all. And imagine that you're the only one. Ma imagine if you're the only one who brings your neighbor, your colleague, your friend, you're the only one who brings them before the, th the throne of grace. You might be the only one. 
And imagine how aimless and hopeless and purposeless your life would be if you didn't have Christ as Lord and Savior. People can come across as very successful and very together, as quite happy and sure about what they think. But without the Lord, their lives are really not that together at all. Sadly, their, their lives are not that together because whether they want to acknowledge it or not, they're on the way to an eternity of darkness unless they repent. And you realize then how important it is to pray for God's help. Lord, open doors for me to share the gospel with, with him or with her. Use me to call them to the light of Jesus Christ. Do you see what that is? Answering anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, that, that's also causing other people to ask questions, maybe even angry ones, about your different way of acting and speaking and why do you defend this and why are you against that, against abortion or, or things like that. And, and defending your hope in God and Christ humbly as best you can. People will ask curious questions or approach you with angry comments and questions. And that's always the, an opening to speak. That's not something we should avoid. That's something we can step into, says, says Peter here. We ought to step into that. The thing is, you have to be open and humble. And not get angry and upset yourself but be ready to accept any abuse for Christ's sake. And the more you can answer with gentleness and respect, even if the other is contemptuous or, sorrow, or, or scornful, the more Christ is honored in you. The thing is, congregation, we should dare to be different. Maybe, maybe nowadays... We should distinguish ourselves as Christians by living a more distinctive lifestyle than ever. Maybe we've already, it's something to think about. Maybe we've already adapted so much to the lifestyle and the way of thinking of the world that, that doesn't know God that we hardly stick out anymore. That we're hardly noticeable and that's something we have to think about. Maybe we, we do that to avoid confrontation about our faith. The people to whom the first letter of Peter was written certainly stuck out from the others. They stuck out like a sore thumb. Those they hung around with before saw, saw that and they abused them for that. How does it show in your life that you possess an eternal hope in Jesus Christ? How do others see in you that Christ is the Lord of your life, the hope of your life? It would be a wonderful thing if through our way of living, speaking, and our defense of our hope would, would make others think about those things. Think about Christ, wouldn't it? It would be an awesome thing if later on when we arrived in heaven, in glory, we'd be welcomed there with open arms by others, someone saying, I want to thank you from my heart for the way you acted and spoke and for your prayers for me, that the Lord used you to bring me here into his eternal joy. Thank you. But, congregation, 
that has to begin here with sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts and as a result of that, living unashamedly for him. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, thank you for your word and for the call to always be ready to share with others the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Help us to do that boldly, not being afraid or ashamed of the gospel, but also with meekness, gentleness, respect, so that those who, who mock that gospel may be ashamed. And then we remember also those who are being severely persecuted now for the sake of Christ. Help them to stand firm in their faith and to put those who oppress them to shame. Father, hear our prayer. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ who is coming and who will gloriously vindicate all those who hope in him. Amen.